You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org connect. Wait a minute. There we go. Good morning. Anybody cold? No, everybody's just fine? Awesome. I am so grateful for heat. I don't know about you guys, but uh, after being outside a little bit, I was like, um, I like the inside. Just, just to be honest, this time of year, I, I do love snow. Um, I just want to welcome our West Campus. Uh, they're joining us live on stream this morning because we're starting a new work um, that we're going to be working through for the next several months. We're going to study through the Gospel of John together. And as you'll see here, we've entitled um, the series that you may believe. So the, the Gospel of John is written for people at all stages of their spiritual journey. First, it's written for those on their journey who have questions, who have doubts, um, who have not yet believed that Jesus is the Christ. They They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to put the pieces together when it comes to their own soul and figure out um, who God is and what God has done. They're wrestling with the truth. And then second, like all the Gospels, it's, it's it's a work that's given to the believer to strengthen and deepen their faith. It's for those that have already trusted Christ as their Savior and they, they want to keep on growing in the depth of that relationship. And so if you're here this morning, you're watching online, um, and you're on that journey, which you all are, wherever you are on that journey, this gospel can speak to you. Because God has used it through the centuries to speak to all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. Now, I'm going to start this series. I'm going to not make a whole lot of assumptions that you would know a whole lot about the author of the Gospel of John, uh, who is the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples. And I want to just kind of share with you some background information that I think will help you kind of open up to what John is conveying. And then we're going to jump right in and go through the first five, five verses this morning. So first... Um, Many people don't know that in all of four of the Gospels, none of the authors are mentioned by name. They they never say, hey, my name's John the Apostle and I'm writing this Gospel. Uh, We know who wrote them because we have very clear historical evidence from the early church. And that's where the titles to these come from. Uh, They were put on each work to signify who the author was of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in our case, John, the apostle John, the the one that Jesus called. Um, And the name John is used 20 times in the other three Gospels. But he never uses his own name in this gospel. But he does identify himself. Five different times he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. John was captivated by the fact that he was not only a disciple of Jesus, but that he was loved by Jesus. And this radically changed John. John was not loved uh, by Jesus just as his Lord and his Savior, but in John's mind as he conveys this to us as his friend. And that radically transformed 
his view of God and how personal he was. And so, actually, at the end of this gospel, at the end of, uh, of Jesus' life on this earth, after he ascends, John becomes known in the early church as the apostle of love. And he's known this um, because of his writings and how much he emphasizes true love and loving one another. Um, and also, he becomes known because he becomes a loving guy. Now, what makes this designation of being the disciple Jesus loved um, and, and the, the designation of the apostle of love is that John wasn't uh, welcomed to Jesus as a lovey-dovey kind of guy. As a matter of fact, when we first meet John in one of the other gospels, he's called a son of thunder. And his father was Zebedee, and as a family, they ran a fishing business. Fishing was long, hard, deeply physical work. It was life-threatening at times. Salome was his mother, and she appears to have been a relative of Jesus. And when the sons of thunder are called, you and I have to kind of figure out what that means. So I can tell you what it doesn't mean. John wasn't peaceful and calm. The sons of thunder probably arrived on every scene like a storm waiting to happen. James and John, you know, if you trace their journey, their spiritual journey with Jesus, you'll find in one of the other gospels in Luke 9, when Jesus goes to a village and he's not treated very well, you know what he does? Well, Jesus is ready just to leave, but James and John go, hey, why don't we call down fire and burn the village up? So, I mean, John, that's John. That's John to the T. As a matter of fact, a little later uh, in one of the other Gospels, uh, Salome will grab James and John and drag them to Jesus because she wants the two best thrones for her two, her two best sons. And she's like, I want my sons to sit on the right and on the left. They, and, and that's the way John was raised, to seek power, to seek influence, to take care of self, to get what you can get. And yet he's transformed from a son of thunder to an apostle of love. And so John's gospel is his journey of transformation. It's the things that impacted him the most. And he's going to introduce these to us in the first 18 verses. And then he's going to unpack that for us through the rest of the gospel. If you turn to the end of the gospel in the end of chapter 20, John tells us why he wrote. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. In other words, there's a lot more John could have captured and put down in writing, but he's gathering his material for a very specific purpose. Verse 31, these are written. What I have conveyed to you in this gospel are written that you may believe. But what does he want you to believe? That Jesus... The son of Joseph and Mary is the Christ, the son of God, the heir of the throne of David, the king of Israel, the one that the Psalms and the prophets prophesied and promised. And then he says, I don't want you just to believe. 
He says, by believing, I want you to receive the most amazing of all things, that you may have life. And he'll unpack what that life is for us in the gospel deeply. And that's the eternal life, the abundant life. A life that has meaning and purpose and satisfaction and joy. A a life that goes on for eternity in a relationship with the living God. And that's what he wants for you and I. And he wants us to fully trust, fully dedicate ourselves to the person Jesus the Son of God. You know, the four Gospels together paint a beautiful picture uh, of Jesus and the accounts of his life, his ministry and his death, his teaching and his miracles. But what's interesting is 90% of what John conveys is not in Matthew, is not in Mark, and is not in Luke. It's original to him. And in this gospel, he doesn't give us the birth story. He doesn't tell us about the travels of Jesus uh, like the other gospels do. He doesn't convey the parables of Jesus. Instead, he focuses on the titles of God, the work of God, and the worship of God, the forgiveness of God, and the answered prayer of God. And in all of those cases, it's Jesus who's being worshiped, who's answering prayer, who's doing the work. John wants you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is fully man and fully God. John wants you to believe that Jesus is divine, that he does divine work, that he speaks divine words, that he does divine signs, that he made a divine sacrifice, and that he can bring a divine salvation. And so John uh, wants to convince you by his own journey of what God can do in your life if you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing then, allow that life to take hold in your life. Now, if I had to outline the Gospel of John just into four um, different sections, this is probably be the way uh, I would outline it alongside D.A. Carson and a number of other Uh, great um, men of God who've studied the gospel of John. And so I want you to imagine with me, okay, we're pulling up to the Kaufman Center. Anybody ever been to the Kaufman Center? Like if you go to the Kaufman Center, you're you're expecting some kind of concert or some kind of play. And so let's, let's say that you and I are going to a play, and the play is the Gospel of John. And we arrive, we park in the garage as you're taking that escalator up to the lobby. You're seeing the posters of the, the play you're about to go see, and you're getting introduced to the characters, and you're getting introduced to the plot. And that's exactly what's happening in John chapter 1, the prologue, the first 18 verses. Everything that we are going to see unpacked in a deeper way is introduced to us in those first 18 verses. And so we're going to take three weeks to walk through that and just walk through the first five verses today. And then act one of the play, you might call it the book of signs. It it is the light of Jesus being shined. And there's this declaration that by the things that he does, the signs that he does that tell us who he is and why he's come, that he is the Christ, the Messiah. And then, get an intermission, there's Act 2. And this is all about the glory of Jesus. And specifically, the passion of Jesus 
to finish the work that God has given him. And what's so interesting about this section of the gospel, chapter 13 through chapter 20, is it all happens in one week. It's a close-up picture that is very beneficial to all of us that want to know what faith looks like lived out in the real world as Jesus gives an in-depth summary of what it means to be his disciple. And then he teaches by example um, what it means to be the selfless, sacrificial servant. And then in chapter, chapter 21, Jesus finishes and closes out and concludes um, what, with his disciples before he ascends by letting them know how he wants them to live until he returns. That will be a key phrase we'll see in chapter 1, until Jesus returns. Very practical for you and I. So that's, that's where we're headed in this gospel. So let's just jump in. Let's get after it. I don't know about you guys, but I love to study the Bible. Amen? And, and nothing is more transformative than when we renew our minds and we change our perspective. No offense, but you and I live in a world that saturates us with endless messages, saturates us with endless propaganda of reality. And you and I need to filter that through the lens of what we know to be absolutely and eternally true that's given to us in the Word of God. And this section of John is amazing. John 1, 1 through 5. And what I want to do is I'm going to give you eight attributes. So if you're taking notes, you know how much time we have left. You know how many attributes we're going to go uh, through. You better get after it, okay? But you're going to find how amazing is this opening section of John and all the things it introduces to us about Jesus. You, go, you with me? Ready to go. First attribute. The Word, that's the title that will be given to Jesus, and he'll be specifically identified in these verse eight, first 18 verses as the Word. The Word is eternal. The Word preexisted before time and creation. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word. It's the perfect title. The Word. In the beginning, God expressed Himself. God's own self-expression. God's Word. God's message about himself has now become flesh, the fulfillment that was anticipated in all the prophets. In the beginning, when Mark writes in his gospel, the beginning is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. In John's gospel, the beginning is before time and space and creation. Before there was anything, there was the word. The word is the perfect title to describe Jesus, who is the living word. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament and you see God's powerful activity connected with the Word, you would find that that's used, the Word is used to describe God's revelation of Himself in the words that He would give to the prophets. It was used to describe God's activity in creation when He spoke things into existence. 
The word is also used to describe the deliverance that God brings to his people. He sent forth his word to heal them and to save them. So in the Old Testament, the word refers to God's self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. And therefore, it's the perfect title. As we're going to see in the rest of the Gospel of John for Jesus The word is eternal. And second, the word is personal. The word existed in ceaseless community with God the Father and God the Spirit. He was coexistent even though he was preexistent. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And then I want you to notice in this passage that it's very clearly delineating that the word is a he. He was in the beginning with God. John wants us to know that the word, Jesus, was with God, the Father, since the beginning. He was there before time and space. The word with, when it's used in this context, always means intimate community. So Jesus was always existing in intimate community with the Father God before there was time, before there was creation, before there were humans. In the beginning, they were experiencing eternal fellowship with each other and with the Spirit. He was in the beginning with God. So you cannot see God as an impersonal force acting on our universe. God is personal. He was, he is, he will always be. God is relational, intensely relational. He cannot be manifested apart from his relationship within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word is eternal. The word is personal. He's relational and personally engaged in your life and in this world. And then third, the word is divine. John tells us that his very essence is not only is he fully human, as we'll see unpacked in the gospel, he is fully God. He's not parted out half and half. He's fully both. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's not only personal, he's not only eternal, he's divine. He's not a God as if there's a pantheon of gods. He is God as the Father is God. He is God as the Spirit is God. There are not three gods. There's one God expressed in three persons. The Word took on flesh, took on humanity, became finite. But in no way did that diminish His divine and essential nature. This is one of the giant themes in the Gospel of John. All of the I am statements referring Jesus as himself to taking the very name and title of God Almighty given in the Old Testament. I am who I am. And we'll see that over and over throughout this gospel. The word by himself does not make up the entire trinity, but the divinity that belongs to the Father and to the Spirit is fully expressed in the word. John wants you to read the gospel in light of these two opening verses. 
The words of Jesus are the words of God. The works of Jesus are the works of God. He was in the beginning with God. Eternal, personal, divine, and creator. The word is the creator of all things. The word is not created. He is the creator. He is not a creature. He is the creator. He's not a work that was made. He is the one who worked to make all things. So why is there something in this world rather than nothing? Why are you here? Why do we exist? Why do we orbit? Why do we have planets? Why do we have this universe? Why do we have many universes? Because of the word. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Notice this verse states both the positive, all things were made through him, and the negative. And without him, not anything made that was made. Nothing. So he is the creator of all things. This is a universal statement in the positive and the negative of absolute agency. Jesus, the word, he positively made all things. Jesus, the word, the one who, apart from him, nothing was made. You know, in Genesis, all things came into being because God spoke them into being, spoke them into creation. And the one who was the agent is Jesus Christ, the Word. The preexistent Christ created everything. Paul tells us that they were created by him and for him, and that in him all things hold together. It's through the Word, through Jesus, that the universe was made. He's personal. He is eternal. He is divine. He is the creator. He has brought all things into existence. But even now, something more wonderful for you and I becomes acknowledged, and that is that the Word is the originator of all life. He's not only the creator of all physical time and space and the physical world, he's not only the creator of man, he's the one who made him in his image, in his likeness, male and female. He made them mankind, and he breathed life into them. Verse 4 says, in him was life. In Jesus, in the word, was life. Not just the creation of physical life, but the originator of spiritual life, which is truly man's most greatest gift in God's likeness is his eternal soul. Life is not something that Jesus attained. It's something that he has to give as the Father has it to give. Jesus has the self-existing life of God. And in John, as he unpacks, and unpacks this, what is most crucial is he will let you and I know that our eternal souls are headed towards some kind of eternal life. It's either eternal life with God or eternal life apart from God. And how we respond to Jesus will determine whether we experience the eternal life of redemption and salvation and forgiveness and deliverance and rescue 
or we experience the wages of our sin being eternal death and separation from God and torment for all eternity. And now John finishes this thought when he says that the word is also the source of all light. He says, in him was life, and the life, the word, was the light of men. Don't forget that that Jesus is actually going to declare this openly and boldly. He's going to say, I am the light of the world. Not a light, the light. You and I are not sources of light. When we are called to shine our light, it's because God's light dwells in us. And we shine the light of Christ. We not only receive our physical life from the word, but our spiritual life is sourced in the word also. He is the light of men. Light is an emblem in the uh, uh, gospels to speak of the reality uh, of the work of God and what he is and what he does. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Our divine, personal, eternal creator is the originator of life. He's also the source of light. There is no one else to whom you can turn to be saved. He and he alone is the giver of eternal life. He alone is the source of eternal life. The only way to know that kind of life is through the word. We know there is darkness and we know there is light. And these two themes will be manifested and unpacked and deeply dived into in John's gospel. And he's going to talk about the fact that over and over and over, there's a battle between darkness and there's a battle between light. It's interesting, in the first 12 chapters, the word light is used 20 times. At the turning point in chapter 13, when Jesus moves to go to the cross and do Last Supper with his disciples, there's no more mention of light in the gospel. Because he's proven he's the light, and now he will go purchase salvation as the light of the world. And that brings us to the seventh attribute, the word is revealer of all darkness. Jesus is the word. He is the light of men. And that means that he must shine his light everywhere. That means he must shine his light in the darkness. He must expose the deeds of the flesh. He must expose the rival system of the world set up by the evil one to contradict God and his kingdom. He must shine his light By the way, light is not the opposite of darkness because darkness is actually the absence of light. And John says the light shines in the darkness. This is one of the great themes. Jesus enters into this world system where there is an evil one and he shines his light. By the way, darkness is not just the absence of, uh, of light in the Gospel of John. Darkness is activist evil. There is a ruler of the darkness. There is a domain of the darkness. 
And there is one who is propagating, who comes to steal, who comes to kill, who comes to destroy, who comes to distort. There is an active agent of evil in this world applying its force up against our souls, up against our culture, up against the church. But the light shines in the darkness. And the only way out of the darkness is to follow Jesus, the light of the world. He tells us that we must believe in the light to become sons of the light. We must believe in the light if we no longer want to live in the darkness. And that brings us to the eighth and final attribute. The word is victor over the darkness. We will read in the Gospel of John of the triumphant victory of Jesus Christ over the darkness, over sin, over death, and over the works of the evil one. The light comes and invades the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness cannot overcome light. It cannot topple the light. It cannot chase the light away. The light is what invades the darkness and exposes it for what it really is and who's behind it. Satan and his subjects will resist the light, fight against the light, seek to distort the light, but they cannot overcome the light because he that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And all the forces of darkness will think they've been victorious over the light when Jesus is betrayed, Jesus is mocked, Jesus is scourged, Jesus is crucified. But they could not overcome the light because Jesus was triumphant over sin and death. And after three days, what did he do? He rose from the grave. And see, John is building to that climax in his gospel, letting us know that the life and the light that we long for is Jesus. And he is victorious. The word is eternal, has always been and will always be. He's personal, relational. He's designed us to be in community with him. He is divine. Of the very essence, God, he is all-powerful. He is the creator. He's the sustainer. He is the designer of all things. He's the originator, the giver of life. And brings to you and I eternal life. And he is the source of light that shows us our need, that shines forth the truth and points us clearly to the way of salvation. And not only is he originator of life and source of light, he's revealer of darkness and sin and death and the deeds of the evil one. But more than just originator and source and revealer, he is victor, triumphant over sin and death and the evil one. The one who is conquered can conquer whatever is in your life and in your soul. That is the journey of John. From a son of thunder to an apostle of love. So as we head into this series, kind of two applications. Number one, I'd love if you are here and you are not yet a follower of Jesus that you will use this opportunity to take this gospel and figure out uh, what you do believe. 
Find out what do you really believe? What do you believe about mankind? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about the need of your soul? What do you believe about eternal life? What do you believe, believe about salvation? I want you to seek Jesus. I want you to discover who he is and what he's done. Because the only foundation for the life we were designed for is the word, the Savior, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then second, if you're already here and you're a believer, then I want to challenge you to live out what you believe. Do you believe that Jesus Christ conquers darkness? Do you believe that he's the victor? That he is triumphant over your flesh? Triumphant and sovereign over our world system? That he's triumphant over the leader of the darkness, the devil? Do you believe he is the one who has overcome? Do you believe he is the one who conquers? Are you willing to shine his light? Christ, the light of the world. Are you willing to live it out, speak it out, so that the world can see Jesus at work, transforming you from a son or daughter of whatever to a son or daughter of the king? Just like John went from son of thunder to apostle of love. And I'd like, I'd like to encourage you. Maybe you know someone who's wrestling with things spiritually. Invite them to this series. Just say, hey, I, I, there's so much I think you can get out of this series, understanding and processing who is God and why did Jesus come and what that could mean for your life. I'm even going to get a, even more specific than just ask someone. I, I'm going I'm to do something like right now that uh, Ian asked me to do, Okay. And, and what he did is he said, you know, Mike, give them something practical. We have ties and tiaras coming up Saturday. How many of you know what ties and tiara is? You should know what that is, right? That, it's a dance. It's a daddy-daughter dance. I did these. They're wonderful. Who do you know that you could invite as a dad to bring his daughter to the dance this coming Saturday and introduce them to people of faith and to how much fun can be had together and maybe start a conversation that could lead somewhere in the future church christ is the light of the world if you have christ in your heart his light shines in you and you carry that light with you everywhere you go are you shining the light that you have let's pray together God, we want to see you continue to do amazing things in our midst as a church. We want you to transform us, Lord. We're all works in process waiting that final day. And while we wait, God, we pray that you would be doing things uh, in our hearts. Lord, I pray for all of those that might be seekers on a journey to figure you out, Jesus. I pray you would reveal yourself to them in fresh ways that you would use your word to show them what is ultimately true and that you would address the needs of their heart to the point where they would want to enter into a relationship with you. And Lord, for those of us that know you and follow you, would you continue to do your work in us as hard as it is at times? And 
In other words, all the ways we sometimes resist what you want to do, would you mold us, would you shape us so that we would live as lights in the midst of a dark and twisted world. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.